0: Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California, I'm Satirius Johnson. This episode is all about road trips. We'll start in Northern California with Zach O'Brien, founder of Active NorCal, who shares several of his favorite escapes. The waterfall that reigns supreme here in Northern California is Bernie Falls. President Theodore Roosevelt once dubbed it the eighth wonder of the world. Then Allie and Bobby Talley of the Traveling Newlyweds blog share tips on road tripping with their baby and their dog,
1: Sally.
2: When you're traveling with a 70-pound dog, (laughs) there's a lot of logistics that go in there.
1: Really, the key to traveling with a dog, especially really long distances, is kind of just being organized and giving them space to, to feel like they're not stuck on this tiny little seat.
0: After that, author Jim Hinckley shares his favorite haunts on Southern California's Route 66 and tells us how it became an international phenomenon. That's all coming up on California Now. For road trippers in pursuit of fresh air adventure and awe-inspiring landscapes, Northern California is an ideal getaway. My next guest is an authority on why and where and how you can experience it for yourself. Zach O'Brien is founder of Active NorCal, which covers the news, history, and characters of Northern California's great outdoor spaces. He's here to highlight some of the best road trips the region has to offer. Welcome to California Now, Zach. Thanks, Soterios. It's great to talk to you today. So before we talk road trips, could you tell us a bit about Active NorCal?
3: Yes, we are a digital media company covering all the great things you can do here in Northern California. Uh, we tell the the stories and the history behind our outdoor destinations uh, and try to have as much fun as we can in the process. Sounds great. So, So who is your typical audience member or is there such a thing? We range all over the place for our audience. It's residents of Northern California that are looking for weekend adventures or the best place to go fishing. We also have people from outside of the area who are looking to visit uh, Northern California
0: and are looking for different ideas of what they should do while they're here. Well, you know, based on all that, I I certainly think we've come to the right place. So let's talk road trips and to start let's talk about road trips that feature waterfalls Um, if that's our goal what's our first stop in northern california specifically the shasta
3: cascade region is what we like to call our world famous waterfall loop and it's actually so famous that natural geographic just did a big feature on it and basically you can drive a large loop in one day and see five to seven waterfalls all in a single day. Uh, some of them range from over 100 feet, and some of them are much smaller, but there's everything to see from a waterfall standpoint on this loop.
0: So what, what are some of the falls that we can
3: see? So the biggest, the, the waterfall that reigns supreme here in Northern California is Bernie Falls. President Theodore Roosevelt once dubbed it the eighth wonder of the world. It's 129 feet high, Hmm. and it falls down two distinct pillars. Um, It's just a quick walk from the parking lot, so there's not much of a hike to it. And it's so powerful that more than 100 million gallons of water plunge over it every single day.
0: That's amazing. That's that. That's like a really um, epic start to to a waterfall loop to see something like that. Um, where where to next? From Bernie, you're going to drive on Highway 89,
3: and that's the Volcanic Scenic Byway Highway here in Northern California. And the reason it's called that is because you're going to get incredible views of Mount Shasta the entire time. Our big active volcano up here in Northern California. And once you drive about an hour uh, north on Highway 89, you're going to reach McLeod, California, which is home to three of some of the most beautiful waterfalls here in NorCal. It's
0: uh, McLeod Falls. And uh, what makes them so beautiful? Like, what, can you describe it for someone who's never been?
3: McLeod Falls is unique in the fact that just one quick hike, you can see three distinct waterfalls. It's about a four mile hike round trip. There's Lower McLeod Falls, Middle McLeod Falls, and Upper McLeod Falls. And they're all very different. Uh, Lower McLeod Falls is small, but it's, it's a great swimming hole. There's rocks right above it where you can jump in the water. Uh, you know, kids as small as five years old, you'll see them jumping in the water. There's also a lot of fish in there. Uh, you'll walk up the trail about a mile, and it's the monster waterfall, Middle McLeod Falls which is 50 feet high and 100 feet wide. Hmm. And it falls into this giant deep pool right in the McLeod River. And it's just the perfect place to hang out. It gets really hot here in Northern California. So it's natural air conditioning with the Hmm. water splashing on you. Um, And it's just a great place to uh, hang out and enjoy the wilderness for the day. And then you head up, about another half mile or so. And that's upper McLeod Falls. And it's hard to see that one up close since it's down sort of in a ravine, but
0: it's large and it's beautiful in its own right. So like you can kind of start off your trip with a waterfalls loop, but then there's other stuff there too, like Mount Shasta, um, like Shasta Lake. I mean, there's so much to, there's so much kind of natural beauty up in that area. That's just kind of like a stone's throw away from each other.
3: Yes, it, there's so much unique beauty, and all of the towns within these uh, drives are very unique. A lot of them have great gold rush history. Um, like in Dunsmere, uh, Dunsmere, California, is when you go down to downtown Dunsmere, it's sort of like walking back into the 50s. And uh, the Sacramento River runs right through the town, and um, that's also the location of another waterfall on the loop, Hedge Creek Falls, which is very unique because it cascades over a cave. So you can actually hike underneath the waterfall Mm -hmm. all the way around in a circle.
0: So, you know, you mentioned uh, Mount Shasta. Um, What do you recommend for people who want to experience Mount Shasta to do? What's your recommendation there?
3: Oh, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, There's so many great outdoor places in Mount Shasta. And of course, it, it all is around the centerpiece, which is the mountain. But there's from the, you know, the melting snow on the mountain, there's all sorts of rivers and lakes. I love Lake Siskiyou, which um, is a great place to go fishing. It's a great place to go hiking. There's actually a trail that goes all the way around the lake. And uh, you can rent kayaks and paddleboards there. Um, If you're looking for more of a strenuous adventure, you can hike all the way up to Heart Lake, which for my money, is probably the best view in Northern California where you get these huge views of Mount Shasta and Black Butte right to the side of it. Hmm.
0: How much time do you recommend spending uh, up in that area? I mean, is it a day trip or is it something that you really should you know, uh, block off a couple of days at least to experience it right?
3: Well, you know, I blocked off my entire life to spend up here, so <laughs> I might not be the perfect person to say. But you can really uh, you can see the whole area in probably a day or two. Um, if you choose one specific hike, like, say, Lake Siskiyou or Heart Lake, that's just a quick, you know, two to three hours. Um, but for my money, there's so many places to go. I recommend going uh, two or three days.
0: Right. Right. And And how prepared do I need to be to take this on? I mean, do I need. A uh, vehicle with four four wheel drive. Do I need to be ready for an uphill hike? Like, how prepared do I have to go? Uh, do I have to be when I go into this? Of course, it depends on the weather. When you're talking about Mount Shasta,
3: the the city lies around six thousand feet, and you could get snow at any time. In the summer, that's not a problem at all. All of these places are very easily accessible uh, when there's no snow. So, no, you don't need any four wheel drive or anything like that. Um, some of these hikes are more strenuous than others, but I would say most of them are, are pretty moderate and uh, can be accomplished by
0: most people, even families. Right. Okay, that's great. And, and, you know, a big part of what we love about road trips on this show is, of course, stopping for food. <laughs> so what are a couple can't-miss places for when I'm ready to refuel?
3: Well, right outside Bernie Falls in Bernie, California, is this fantastic restaurant called the Alpine Drive Inn. And I recommend you have to get a burger and fries and you also have to try their delicious chocolate shake. Uh, they are one of my favorites. I've been going there since a kid and they have not changed since I was a little kid. <laughs> when you're talking about the uh, Mount Shasta Dunsmere area, you have to stop on Yaks, at Yaks on the Five, which <laughs> was uh, voted a top 100 restaurant in America by Yelp years back and I always get their jalapeno burger, which their burgers are huge. And then I always get the Scott's Tots, which are their loaded tater tots. And the name is derived from a funny joke on The Office from
0: Michael Scott. Okay, so let's embark on an entirely new trip. Uh, Where are we going? And where should we start? There is a national park, which is about
3: two to three hours north of Sacramento called Lassen Volcanic National Park. And it it has its own active volcano. And actually, it has plenty of examples of volcanic activity happening throughout the park. Now, if you take a drive from Redding, it's about an hour to the National Park. And there is a 30-mile Lassen Park Highway that you can see almost the entirety of this national park
0: with one big loop. It's absolutely amazing to see. That's pretty amazing because I think when people think of um, volcanoes, they don't necessarily think of California. So you can actually be in Northern California and see an active volcano. And you're saying like, so what kind of evidence of this volcanic activity is there there? like, What, what am I going to see as I'm driving um, on the highway there? I don't know how much time you have, but there is a lot. Uh, <laughs>
3: first and foremost, Lassen Peak erupted just in 1914, so a little over 100 years ago, meaning that the youngest rocks in California are in Lassen Volcanic National Park. They they came from the eruption of the peak. Um, and that's just the sort of the tip of the iceberg. You know, there are plenty of boiling mud pots and steaming vents all around the park that show the, you know, the lava and the volcanic activity that's happening hundreds of feet below. There's places like Bumpus Hell, which is such a fantac- fantastic place to visit in the park. I truly recommend it. It is not only educational for the whole family, but it is just so beautiful to see.
0: So, you know, I know this, this part of California is full of picturesque landscapes. What are some of your, your favorites? So in Lassen Volcanic
3: National Park, the centerpiece is Lassen Peak, right? It's just so gorgeous to see in real life. Uh, on the north entrance of the park is Manzanita Lake. And Manzanita Lake is known to have tons of wildlife. It, it has great fishing in there. But mostly, it has stellar views of Lassen Peak. You can hike around the entire lake. It's only about two miles round trip. And you can see both Lassen Peak and nearby Chaos Craigs. And they usually reflect onto the lake, which creates a great opportunity for photography. And it's just a great relaxing hike with stellar views. If you keep going uh, towards the south end of the park, there's Lake Helen, which is similar to Manzanita Lake, but it is this distinct light blue color that's so beautiful. And that is actually one of the most photographed places you'll see in Lassen Volcanic National Park. It's just so beautiful to see.
0: That sounds really great. So, so for this trip, what should I pack? Uh, do I need hiking gear, a swimsuit, maybe both? Well, it depends how long you want to spend here. Of course, you can make this
3: entire trip in just a day, but you're going to pass a lot of campgrounds on this trip. So you might want to stay for the night. Yes, there are a lot of places to go swimming in Lassen. Also, there are a lot of places to go fishing. I recommend uh, fishing in Manzanita Lake. There's a lot of beautiful trout in there. Yes, hiking shoes, of course. You can visit, you can stop at uh, the Kings Creek Meadows, which is right below Lassen Peak. And it's about a three-mile hike to uh, Kings Creek Falls, which is a beautiful hike. And you can see Lassen Peak the entire way through the meadows. It ends at Kings Creek Falls, which is about 70 feet tall. It's big, and it's it's just a gorgeous hike. Also, Bumpus as Hell is only about a two mile hike round trip. And that's right next to Kings Creek Falls. So um, if you stay a couple days, I recommend taking those those smaller hikes. Of course, in the summer, you can hike all the way to the top of Lassen Peak, which might sound a little intimidating, but it's actually only about five miles. And um, it's moderate. It's not too difficult. And you will get views 360-degree views of Northern California, including Mount Shasta.
0: Hmm. Oh, that sounds awesome. Um, what about food along the way on this trip? What's top of mind here?
3: As you're coming through the loop and you leave the southwest entrance of the park, you can drive down to Red Bluff, which has some great food. And in, in fact, it has multiple great Mexican food spots. I prefer Carlitos Restaurant, which is right on Main Street there in Red Bluff. And they, they do everything good. I usually get their burrito, but they also have fantastic tacos and enchiladas. I usually uh, drive all the way through and I'll end my day with a huge
0: meal in Red Bluff. Okay, so let's do one more road trip. Say I want to head west to the coast, taking the scenic route. What's your preferred way to get there? Okay, so
3: if you're if you're leaving, say, Redding, California, and you head west on Highway two ninety nine. It's about a three-hour drive all the way to the coast. And that is full of so many gorgeous spots. Um, As soon as you leave Reading, you, you end up in a gold rush ghost town. It's called Old Shasta. And you can stop there right off the bat and visit a museum. The museum has an old courthouse and an old jail. And it also has a bunch of... Ruins that you can walk through and I really recommend doing it in the springtime because it's full of wildflowers as You continue on 299 you have to stop at Whiskeytown lake Which is one of the most underrated gems here in northern, California It's Whiskeytown national recreation area is huge with the centerpiece of whiskey town lake It's some of the clearest water we have here in northern, California You can see 10 to 20 feet down. Um, there's plenty of opportunities to rent a kayak, to go on a paddleboard, or there's even
0: a beach, uh, Brandy Creek Beach, which is just gorgeous during the summer. That sounds great. So, I mean, you kind of, you can start off with a ghost town, do a little, you know, paddling, swimming in a lake, and then what's next? So next, we'll we'll
3: keep going, and, and not very far, about 30, 45 minutes, is the town of Weaverville. And Weaverville is so unique! It's a gold rush town, um, and and they they certainly uh, still have all the remnants of their gold rush era. And it sits right at the foot of the Trinity Alps wilderness, which is another fantastic wilderness area here in Northern California.
0: Wow, that's really great. So, okay, so we keep on heading west. Where
3: next? So next up, you're right after Weaverville. There's so much on this drive. Right after Weaverville, uh, you're going to drive 50 miles along the Trinity River. The Trinity River is a wild and scenic river, uh, which means it's environmentally protected. Uh, it's, it's known for two things. Um, it's known for its steelhead runs. So you'll likely see some fly fishermen sitting in the river trying to catch one of the elusive big steelhead that flow through the river. It's also known for its rafting and its world famous hellhole rapid. You can actually pull on the side of the road of Highway 299 and watch rafters descend over this big rapid. And I'm sure you'll see a lot of them fall out. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) And so uh, how far from the coast are we at this point? So we're still about uh, an hour to the coast. And I always like to stop in Willow Creek for anyone who is a fan of Bigfoot. Like I am, they have <laughs> a Bigfoot museum. That's a lot of fun to see. And Willow Creek is actually the location of the famous Patterson Gimlin Bigfoot film, which is probably the most famous Bigfoot uh, film on the planet. And since it was, it was, it was, in that location. They now have a museum there. So I always stop. There's a big, Bigfoot statue out front that you can take a picture out outside. Um, and because it's home of Bigfoot, it's surrounded by vast, beautiful green wilderness. It's, it's Mm. just a great place to hang out.
0: Have you spotted, have you ever spotted Bigfoot? I have not.
3: I'm, I'm still (laughs) looking. And, and after I've heard (laughs) some stories, uh, I don't know if I want to see him. I'd probably good Um, just having him stay in the wilderness and I'll stay on the trail. (laughs) Okay. So where next? So I, on this part of the trip, right before we reach the coast, I love to stop in blue Lake because one of my favorite breweries is mad river brewing company right there. They have the uh, steelhead extra IPA and I always have to stop because it's hard to find. So I always stop at mad river. I try to grab some food and grab a beer right before you get to the coast. And that sounds perfect. The, you know, once you get to the coast, it's the landscape completely changes, right? I mean, Northern California, we have so many different types of landscapes, from the snowy mountains of the Sierra Nevada to the uh, hot valley of, you know, the Sacramento Valley. And it goes up to the mountains and back to the coast. And you know you might get some fog. It will certainly be a lot cooler once you get to the coast. But the Northern California coastal views are magnificent, and my favorite place to go there and the end of my road trip here always is the Patrick's Point Trinidad Bay area. Um, I always I always love to camp at Patrick's Point State Park, and my favorite thing to do in that. Coastal region is kayaking on Trinidad Bay. There's actually a company, it's uh, Kayak Trinidad, and they do different marine wildlife tours on the ocean. And I recommend going in April and May to see one of the thousands of migrating gray whales that are going through the area at the time. Oh, very cool.
0: So, you know, as we wrap up, do you have any overarching words of wisdom for road trippers heading to the northern stretches of California?
3: You know, I would say that seeing the main outdoor attractions of Northern California are well worth it. Places like Lassen Peak and Mount Shasta and Bernie Falls. But if you really want to see some of the great locations in Northern California, just ask someone at your local grocery store or maybe at the gas station. People up here were really nice and uh, we love sharing our outdoor beauty with everyone. So... You know, go out on your own adventures and uh, and try to find something new, because there's plenty of stuff out there. There's hidden waterfalls everywhere and beautiful rivers everywhere. And we have so many things to visit. Um, So just ask one of your nice people that you see at a grocery store, and I'm sure they'll give you the, uh, the
0: place the locals go. Absolutely. The, the hidden gems that only the locals uh, want to keep to themselves. <laughs> That's right. And I won't tell you on this podcast. Uh, I'll just say you have to ask a local. You have to do the work to find them. <laughs> Fair enough. Zach, this has been really great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Thanks so much for having me on Satirius. I had a blast talking to you. Zach O'Brien is founder of Active NorCal online at activenorcal.com and on Instagram at ActivenorCal. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. A short drive from the sand and surf of Southern California, you'll find the remarkable Inland Empire, a place with no shortage of possibilities when you're looking to unwind. The Inland Empire's mountain region offers the outdoor beauty of Big Bear Lake, plus shopping and sightseeing in the mountain villages of Crestline and Lake Arrowhead. You can also relax in Temecula Valley Wine Country, which boasts award-winning restaurants and hot air balloon rides, as well as historic inns, winery resorts, and boutique hotels. And there's the Inland Empire's desert region, home to the renowned Joshua Tree National Park, as well as Route 66, where you might just stop in at the Route 66 Shooting Sports Park. Frequent flyers know an easy way to visit the Inland Empire is Ontario International Airport. It's 35 miles east of downtown L.A. and was voted fastest-growing airport in the U.S. by global traveler. To discover more about California's Inland Empire, check out discoverie.com. That's discoverie.com. Nothing says road trip like a couple people, maybe with a dog or a kid in tow, hitting the open road and exploring California. Well, my next guests, yes, plural, run the blog Traveling Newlyweds, and they're here to talk about all that, how and where to go about it, and a lot more. Allie and Bobby Tally are California-based travel journalists who love road tripping with their dog Sally. And while that isn't an actual nursery rhyme, they did recently become parents. Allie, Bobby, welcome to California Now
2: thank you thanks so much for having us
1: yeah thanks for having us
0: so so your blog is called traveling newlyweds um when and where did you get hitched
1: well it's a funny story we got married off the five freeway a truck stop we always describe it as <laughs> if you've driven from la to san francisco and you kind of get tired of driving and seeing in and out and stop there <laughs> um, in kettleman city that's where we got married right behind that in and out there's a uh Allie, you can describe what your uncle built there.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So my uncle owns kind of a whole rest stop destination there. It's called Bravo Farms. And right when we were starting to look at wedding venues, he was building this and he was like, Hey, if you guys are interested, I can just build you a venue out back. We've got a best Western (laughs) across the street. We can do kind of a destination wedding type thing. And we we had such a love for travel already, so we were like, this is <laughs> this is just random and fun enough that why not why not get married at a rest stop? So That's we had hilarious. everybody kind of book rooms across the street, and um, nobody had heard of Kettleman City when we <laughs> sent out the invite. <laughs> but it ended up being such a fun, random wedding that I think perfectly kind of encapsulates the beginning of our relationship.
0: That is hilarious. I mean, you know, some people get married in Napa or they go to Santa Barbara or someplace like that. You did it in Kettleman City, kind of in the middle of nowhere Yeah, (laughs) at a rest stop.
1: Yeah. It was one of those things, like Ali said, where we kind of just thought, oh, this, this should be fun. We'll see. And it turned into a rager. Everyone had a great time. And I don't think you could plan on that again if you decided to have your wedding out in the middle of nowhere, but you never know. And we loved it.
0: Oh, that is so great. I'm sure everyone had a great time. Totally. So how long have you been married now?
1: We've been married for almost seven years,
0: okay. so you're not quite newlyweds anymore, but the name traveling newlyweds has stuck around. are you are you planning on keeping it forever?
2: I mean, I think so. It's a question that we get asked all the time. And for a little while we were kind of contemplating just because we're just technically not newlyweds, but we like to think of it as more of a mentality, not a time frame. Um, from our first honeymoon trip be- and beyond, you know, we like to think that, we travel like newlyweds and mm-hmm. uh, we splurge when we want to and we adventure as much as we can. And now with a little baby and, and a dog in tow, we, we like to keep that same newlywed mentality ongoing as a family.
0: And yeah, you know, looking at your blog, I saw a couple of pictures of your Bernadoodle, Sally. Uh, I just adopted a dog myself. Um, could you share any high-level tips on dog-friendly travel?
2: When you're traveling with a 70-pound dog... <laughs> There's a lot of logistics that go in there. And so we tried to keep our car time to a minimum just for Sally, even though she actually does love the car. Um, Uh We would, you know, we would go to all sorts of random places. We would drive to Palm Springs or Los Olivos, Los Alamos. We found that a lot of destinations in California were so dog friendly. uh, Surprisingly, so it's spots that we didn't even think could be downtown San Diego. We took Sally on a dog friendly trip all throughout the downtown of San Diego and had a blast. And she was Mm -hmm. able to go almost everywhere with us, which, you know, you probably wouldn't think a dog would be able to do that.
0: So as far as like finding accommodations, I mean, do you have trouble finding places that will take you when you have a dog or do you call ahead to make sure it's okay? Or do you just assume that that there won't be any problem?
2: Yeah, you know, it really depends on the destination. But I would say more often than not, we're always pleasantly surprised with how many dog-friendly accommodations are there are in that town. Um, two, two hotel chains that we love that we've found in most destinations, big cities, et cetera, are La Quinta's, which are all over. You know, like you can almost always find a La Quinta in a town or not, just even alongside the road. There's always La Quinta's. Um, they're great. They're super dog friendly. There's no dog fee for a La Quinta. So we love that. (laughs) Anytime we can save some money with Sally, the better. Um, and then Mm -hmm. Kimpton hotels, they're a more boutique hotel chain. And, um, they're also very dog friendly. They also do not have a dog fee, which is wonderful. And they have a lot of fun little features. Like they'll supply your room with dog bowls. And a lot of times they'll give you dog Mm -hmm. treats and They'll write your dog's name on a welcome sign outside, and they almost always have a happy hour in the evenings where dogs are invited. So between those two spots, like we we almost always just book one of a place at one of those.
0: Oh, that's great! It's it's so wonderful to be able to you know if you're bringing your dog on the trip with you to be able to you know enjoy some time not in the car with them out and about in the destination, right?
2: Totally, yeah. We we try to take Sally out and about with us as much as possible.
0: Um, what's something you always tell people about road tripping with a dog and they're just like, wow, I never would have thought of that.
1: One thing that we always talk about when it comes to dog friendly travel is that you want to keep them as safe as you keep yourself. So it sounds Mm -hmm. kind of weird to think of strapping a dog into a seatbelt, but we've actually found, um, this product that's made by Kergo that puts this like harness across the top, this line across the top of your car where it connects between the two hand rests. And then you have. Mm -hmm carabiners that connect to a harness for Sally that she's it, it's changed a little bit with our son in the car now now we have a different way of doing it but it's a super awesome way to know that your dog's safe because it acts as a seat belt so we really like travel with that everywhere and before Jude um, we also traveled with like a a seat extender so Sally had this really big area like this flat area that she could kind of lay out in the back seat and then you could also store stuff underneath that in terms of traveling um, and, and trying to stay organized. So, really, uh, the key to traveling with a dog, especially really long distances, um, is kind of just being organized and giving them space to to feel like they're not stuck on this tiny little seat. Um, so,
0: right, just making it more comfortable and safe for them. Right. That, that's that's really great. Now, that, now, as you've mentioned, you know, you also have a, a one-year-old human traveling with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how, how do you see your previous itineraries changing since you became parents?
1: I think the biggest thing is we thought that we it wouldn't be too hard of a transition because we were traveling with Sally, um, and it really did cause us to loosen our expectations, loosen those itineraries with a child, because Sally... Especially some hotels, you can just leave her in the room for a little while. We go wine tasting or go for a nice walk without her for a minute. Um, But with Jude, all of a sudden we have two naps a day that we have to um, (laughs) be in a room for. So if there's not early check in, we better figure out what we're going to do with him. Mm. Um, So we've just learned to hold our plans loosely because you never know when you're just going to get either stuck somewhere or he's not going to want to do something the way that we thought he would. So it's definitely a different experience.
2: As we traveled with him from six months on to now a year, his his ability to do more and more has changed as he's gotten older. And I think as we figured out how he travels and kind of how to make it all work, our itineraries are starting to get a little bit busier again. But
4: mm-hmm. the first
2: couple trips that we did with him were really just like, how can we survive in a new destination, you know? he yeah. might not nap in, for his morning nap. So he's gonna be really fussy and whiny. And we probably can't go to a quiet museum during that time <laughs> because dude will throw a tantrum, you know? So right, it was right. learning the kind of destinations that we could all <laughs> handle and do. And, um, and and then just going for it. I think so many parents are so, tr- so nervous to travel with kids because they're afraid that their kids won't behave or that it'll throw them all off, you know? And because, so because of that, they stay home and they don't, where I think it's good for kids at an early age to learn to adapt, to learn to be in new experiences and new situations. And it's good for the parents too, to kind of take you out of your comfort zone and figure out how you're going to make traveling work with your little ones. Because once you do it, you figure it out, you know, right. it's just getting out and actually getting in the car. That's usually the hardest part.
0: Now, now what's something that hasn't changed since you've been traveling uh, with your son?
1: I think what hasn't changed is that we still find ways to get all of the food that we would plan on getting in any of these destinations. So if it's, <laughs> I mean, I think that's one thing I was going to piggyback on in terms of traveling with Jude now and Sally is that we love these destinations where we can stay somewhere kind of central um, and have have so much at our fingertips. Like an hour and a half drive from us is Solvang in the Santa Inez Valley and to be able to go and park at the ho- at a hotel like the Lansby or the Skyview Hotel and be able to walk to these places that we talk about all the time even when you know when we, ha- we don't go for months but like Bob's Well Bread or Peasant's Feast for a hot chicken sandwich and mm. be able to get those things regardless of if Jude doesn't miss his nap we're still going to make it to Bob's Well Bread we're still going <laughs> to make it to the Sausage Garden and get to those places because Uh, Part of the reason we walk around so much in these places is because we're always eating to experience that destination.
0: Mm. That's a great way to experience any destination, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about some places you've been around California recently. What sticks out in your mind and what did you love about it?
2: Yeah, well, Bobby just mentioned Solving and kind of the Santa Inez Valley. And that's an area that we go to probably at least once a year, if not a couple times a year. We're wine members at a few wineries in Los Olivos. And it's a place that instantly kind of feels like a getaway for us. It's just a few hours um, north of us. um, And we, we love going there. There's beautiful wineries. There's so many good restaurants. If you can't already tell, we are total foodies. And we really travel to eat. That is usually why we're headed somewhere is because there's a restaurant we want to try or we miss our favorite restaurants in those destinations. And so Mm -hmm. Los Olivos, uh, the Los Alamos area, Santa Inez, there's just so much there and it's pretty untapped. I feel like it's pretty up and coming, but not a lot of people know know about that area and everything that they have there. So a few of the wineries that we love there are Dreamcoat Winery and Demetria. Mm -hmm. They're both Beautiful spots. We love the owners. We've kind of gotten to know the families behind these wineries. Uh, Bob's Well Bread is probably our favorite restaurant, kind of foodie destination there. Um, There's a guy named Bob that works at this restaurant, and he makes all the bread himself. And it's amazing. And we'll buy loaves and loaves to bring home, but we also just love to go and get their breakfast sandwiches and their avocado toast. Just about anything that they put on bread we will eat. It's so Mm -hmm. good. Um, there's another pizza place nearby there called Full of Life Flatbread. And obviously, we love our carbs. We love this pizza place, too. It's, it's fresh and homemade and really good. And those are a few of our pla- favorite places to eat there. There's some hotels that are beautiful and actually really affordable to stay in that area. Um, Skyview in Los Alamos is one of our favorite spots it's um, right up on the hill it has beautiful stunning views it's walking distance to a ton of the restaurants in los alamos and mm-hmm. they've got a really pretty pool that's really kid-friendly and they have a really good restaurant there to eat at um the Lansby and solving is another favorite spot of ours um but it's also very kid-friendly and walking distance to everything we found that with jude and especially sally being walking distance to places is really important for us we Go on a lot of walks as a family and a lot of times jude is the best version of himself when he's in a stroller so we try to find places that are that are good for walking around
0: yeah and, and you know you you, you mentioned uh yeah uh, the sky view which is like this really cool retro place can you kind of describe it for people who have never heard about it or seen it
2: yeah i mean retro is a great way to describe sky view i think Pulling up to this hotel, it's kind of up on the hill of looking down on Los Alamos. It's got this big sky view sign that's probably been there since the beginning. I think it was just kind of an old, run-down motel. And then this company decided to kind of fix it up and make it cool. And now it's it's kind of a perfect mix of modern but classic. And it's quirky and it's fun and it, it's definitely nice but it doesn't feel too fancy. You know, like we can never go to two fancy hotels now with our dog and our baby. <laughs> and this, this hotel is kind of a perfect mix of it's fun and it's cool and it's hip, but it feels attainable for a family. If that makes sense. They have a really nice pool. It's family friendly. Jude loves to play in it. They have a bar with drinks that you can order and they'll send it to the pool for you. So Bobby and I can enjoy that. It's it's a great place and we'll probably continue to go there as as Chew gets bigger. And it's very dog friendly too. Sally can hang out by the pool with us too, which is awesome. Yeah,
0: so that's the Central Coast. Um, where else do you do you like to go?
1: Yeah, being down here in Costa Mesa in Orange County, where we have a climate of about, you know, 65, 75 degrees year round, it, it seems like clockwork that around December or January every year Allie starts craving. Snow and you know, mountain weather and all that kind of stuff. And what's crazy is we're only 90 minutes from Big Bear and it's so easy. And so, this about a month ago, she got me to go and take Jude for his first time to the snow, Mm. and I loved it. And I mean, she finally hooked me to where I'm like, oh yeah, we could do this yearly because it's crazy that you can hop in the car, drive for 90 minutes, and then all of a sudden be in that crisp mountain air and and, in the snow and all those things that we don't have right here. And so, We love exploring the town, walking around, finding good restaurants, and then, you know, bundling up and being cozy by the fire each night. So, Allie, I know you have some of your favorite spots in Big Bear.
2: Yeah, so something that I love about Big Bear is really just how quirky it is. It's this little mountain town that has a lot of character and a lot of charm. And one of our favorite restaurants that we go is so unexpected. It's called Tropicali, and it's this pokey Hawaiian fusion restaurant. It almost feels like you're um, in the tiki room at Disneyland, but it's, <laughs> it's in the mountains and the snow and their food is so good. The guys that work there could not be friendlier. Um, I, we literally would drive to Big Bear just to get poke bowls at Tropicali.
0: You know, before we let you head back out on the highway, do you have any other pearls of wisdom for road trippers with babies, fur babies or the humankind?
1: So I think one of our favorite things to speak to in terms of traveling with a little one is using a slumber pod, which have you ever heard of a slumber pod?
0: No, I haven't.
1: So think of just a tent, like you take camping, but it's, it's just really easy to set up. It takes a couple minutes, but this thing, it goes over your travel crib and goes in your hotel room. And all of a sudden it's like, I mean, unless you have the luxury of being able to book a two bedroom suite at anywhere you go, <laughs> this thing fits um, from a La Quinta to a Kempton to a Marriott, wherever you're staying. You can pop this little tent up and put on the sound machine and all of a sudden mom and dad have a little privacy because yeah. your your kid can sleep and it's so dark. And so I think one thing is traveling with a slumber pod because your kid can sleep in the dark and, and you can have a little more flexibility. But then we also recommend, if it makes sense, staying in a place where you can have like a balcony or porch or something where, where you can take that even a little further. Your, your child is sleeping inside and you can just go. Share that glass of wine outside and have a moment to yourself.
2: And I was going to say, too, I think sometimes parents feel um, judged or like they're, they're failures if they turn on YouTube or if they, you know, <laughs> pull out the iPad to have the kid watch a show. And I just want to say, you we do not judge you. They're, you are not a failure. We pull out YouTube all the time with Jude, and honestly, sometimes you just have to, you know, especially if you're if you're driving across across the state, if you've got a, a long itinerary, and you're in the car for hours, toys and books will only take you so far. Right. Um, so I just want to say to any parent that's out there, it's okay if you pull out the iPad at certain points along the right. journey. We we've been there, we do it too.
0: <laughs> all things in moderation, right? That's right. Allie, Bobby, this has been great. Thanks so much for joining us on California Now.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: Thanks, Soterios. Allie and Bobby Tally are the Traveling Newlyweds online at travelingnewlyweds.com. Go check out their great photos and check in on their latest journeys on Instagram at traveling underscore newlyweds. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, visit slash podcast. This is California Now. Southern California's desert region is truly out of this world. I spent some time stargazing there a few years ago and can't get it out of my head. Southern California is actually home to not one, but three deserts, the Mojave, the Colorado, and the Great Basin. Together, this area is practically a theme park of open space and varied terrain, from the incredible wildflowers of Death Valley to the picturesque vistas of Anza Borrego State Park. You can road trip through the scenic San Bernardino National Forest or camp amid the unique, vivid geology of Red Rock Canyon State Park. And Sands to Snow National Monument even features 30 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail, a bucket list destination for hikers. So whether you're looking to experience natural hot mineral waters bubbling to the surface, want to visit a ghost town, or just enjoy the unique ecosystems and habitats, the California deserts are worth exploring. To find out more, check out VisitCaliforniaDeserts.com. That's VisitCaliforniaDeserts.com. You might know Route 66 is a place to get your kicks, as the song goes, but did you know it's such an iconic highway, it even has an international fan club? Here to tell us more about the fascinating surprises along the California portion of the drive, from Needles to Santa Monica, is Jim Hinckley, an author and one of the world's foremost experts on Route 66. Welcome to California Now, Jim. How are we doing today, folks? We're doing great. Well, you know, let's start with you. How are you doing, and how did you find your way into this role of
4: writing so much about Route 66? Well, it's kind of a long, long story, but somehow Route 66 has figured prominently in uh, most everything in my life since about 1959, and yes, I am that old. (laughs) We first moved west in the summer of 66. My dad literally threw a dart at a map, and uh, well, here I am. Oh, wow. That's amazing. (laughs) I learned to ride a bicycle on an old alignment of Route 66. I learned to drive on Route 66. And uh, I had a deep interest in uh, vintage vehicles from, from childhood, and they overlap uh, quite a lot. Uh, the old uh, vintage car automotive history in Route 66. And I loved to travel. And so it all swirled together. And next thing I know, I had created uh, Jim Hinckley's America as a uh, multifaceted travel channel and was writing books and doing what I do best, telling people where to go.
0: That is great. Well, I know the books that you've penned on the subject include an illustrated historical atlas, a travel guide, ghost towns of Route 66. What's one or two you particularly want travelers in California to know
4: about? Well, the illustrated historic atlas and the Route 66 encyclopedia were companion volumes, and I tried to cover every aspect of Route 66. Uh, I wrote a concise history of every single community on Route 66, including the ghost towns. Uh, I wrote uh, a brief history on some of the key iconic or even overlooked locations along Route 66, such as Imogene's Hollenberger over in Victorville that opened in 1947. And uh, I also profiled some of the colorful characters and interesting people on Route 66.
0: Well, I mean, your books sound like such great resources for anybody who wants to take that drive and to, you know, really uh, learn about the places in depth. It's, it's really great. Um, and, you know, Route 66 has this almost mythical status compared to a lot of other roads in the world. Just how big a deal is it culturally?
4: It's, it's really kind of hard. To, it's hard to fathom and get a grasp on. Route 66 is not our most historic highway. It's not our most scenic But from its very inception, it's had the best press and publicity. And one of the most amazing things about Route 66 today is it doesn't exist. Hmm. Uh, Officially, it was removed as a U.S. highway in 1985. But yet, it has an international fan club. Just one example. In uh, 2018, I was privileged to speak at the second European Route 66 festival in Zlin, the Czech Republic. Mm. And there were 20,000 plus people from 10 countries.
0: I, I had no idea that there were events like that, you know, celebrating uh, this highway as far away as Europe. What is it about Route 66 that has captured people's imaginations?
4: It's come to, Route 66 has come to symbolize the quintessential American road trip. And I heard a gentleman speak in Anaheim at a conference several years ago. He is the uh, founder of the Czech Route 66 Association. And he mentioned growing up in a communist country behind the Iron Curtain, listening to Radio Free America and watching bootleg copies of Easy Rider and things (laughs) of this nature. And he said Route 66, uh, the motorcycle, came to symbolize freedom for his generation as the Statue of Liberty did for a previous generation.
0: So, Jim, how do you actually know that you're on Route 66 if it doesn't
4: officially exist? Well, in California, it's pretty easy. If you see the Mexican border, you've gone too far south. (laughs) And if you've come to the Pacific Ocean, then you've probably missed something. (laughs) Uh, On a serious note, California has done a fairly good job of signing Route 66. And some of the communities like Arcadia and Barstow have put up really nice road signs uh, that are almost monuments along Route 66. Uh, but there's so many different alignments, to of Route 66. It was changed over the years. So the best options I recommend are uh, Jerry McClanahan's uh, Easy 66 Guide for Travelers. It's some, like something out of the 1950s. It's a flip ring binder with little tidbits, trivia, and hand-drawn maps. And the other that's really intriguing is Route 66 Navigation app at uh, route66navigation.com. It's a very innovative and modern, uh, even for use offline. But it covers not only all the alignments of Route 66 and keeps you on the road, but it also has information about events, uh, restaurants, motels, historic sites, attractions. And uh, since I developed a lot of the point of interest file, it's kind of like having me as a tour guide, but you don't have to listen to me beat my gums while you're driving.
0: (laughs) All right, so let's get to the drive itself and let's start, you know, heading east to west, starting at the California border. What's the first thing I should see or look for?
4: Well, the first thing you want to do is start right on the Arizona side of the Colorado River. That's the state line. And as you're driving west into California, look immediately to your left to the south and you'll see this graceful white arch bridge. And the the, uh, decking was taken off in 1947. It now just carries pipeline. That bridge opened in 1916 as the National Trails Highway Bridge, and then it carried Route 66 traffic from 1926 to 1947. That bridge appears in the movie The Grapes of Wrath with Henry Fonda. Hmm. The eastbound bridge of I-40 was the last bridge to carry Route 66 traffic, and it appears with Peter Fonda in the movie Easy Rider. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. So let's keep heading west. What's next? Well, next is is Needles, California. It's a fascinating town. Uh, Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts, he lived there in the 1920s. You have the beautiful El Garces. That's now a conference center and convention uh, center in uh, Needles. You have little restaurants like uh, Valenzuela's, one family-owned that opened in 1952. Delicious Mexican food. And you mm. have uh, Fender's River Road Resort. It's the only motel and RV park that is on Route 66, the National Old Trails Road, and the Colorado River. So like when
0: you're, at in, when you're there, you know, it's really great to be able to stop there maybe for a meal or something. But is it kind of worth maybe
4: spending a day
0: there, maybe exploring some of the history? What, what is there to do?
4: Yeah, it's well worth spending a day uh, and exploring the surrounding area. It's a great place to uh, set up base camp to explore the uh, Mojave Desert Preserve. It's a great place to explore the uh 1850s 1860s Mojave Road across the desert and uh of course boating things to do on the river there's a lot of activity there. So what about Amboy? I hear Amboy
0: Crater is a really different part of the landscape there really, you know, very a unique place.
4: Yeah, Amboy Crater, well Amboy itself is kind of fascinating. It dates back to the 1850s with salt mining and uh has, of course, an association with the railroad. Uh, A lot of the railroad water stops were named in alphabetical order across the desert. Uh, It went through a lot of different growth periods. The National Old Trails Road fueled a major development of a service industry. And then Route 66 magnified that. And it became uh, the garages, the restaurants. They were open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then when the road was bypassed in the 1970s, It was like somebody flipped a switch. Traffic Mm -hmm. literally ceased. Hmm. Uh, You mentioned Amboy Crater is just, it's within spitting distance of Amboy itself. You can see it. And it's a a nice little hiking trail, relatively easy. There's a pullout, a little picnic area. And then you hike back to the crater and you go around the crater to the backside on the south. The crater is blown out and you can walk into the crater. And then there's a trail that goes up on the top and you can walk the rim. Not something I recommend in the middle of summer and Mm -hmm. with with any desert trip, even in the winter, let people know where you're going when you'll be back and carry water because I've been out there on new year's and it was a hundred degrees.
0: You know, you mentioned Barstow um, and that's one of the towns mentioned in, in the song, uh, you know, that Nat King Cole sang.
4: What's special about Barstow? Pretty much everything. Uh, (laughs) The town originally was, uh, up until the late teens, early twenties, the town was actually on the North side of the tracks. And when the railroad built the rail yard that's there now, almost the entire town was relocated to the South. And the only thing that's left, uh, of, of mention on the North side of the tracks is the beautiful Harvey house that was built, uh, around nineteen five, six, seven, And it's now the, uh, Mother Road, Route 66 Museum, and a beautiful railroad museum.
0: All right. Well, moving a little west, uh, San Bernardino is in the song as well. What do we need to see there?
4: Well, you have the McDonald's Museum. You have the, a great uh, railroad museum. a uh, Really interesting historic district. And uh, just outside of that is, uh, of course, going into Rialto, you have the Wigwam Motel, which uh, appears in the movie Cars and has been renovated there's also a place uh miata's cafe down on mount vernon in uh, san bernardino which was a an old alignment of route 66 and the cafe's been there something like uh i think it was 1928 as you can tell i like food
0: well you know you mentioned food and you've been mentioning food dropping it in you know here and there which is great but one of the daily pleasures of a road trip is definitely stopping somewhere to eat. So for somebody planning a trip, you know, along Route 66, what are some of the iconic places that we need to stop at to, to fuel up on this roadway?
4: Uh, well, there's uh, Jessica's in Barstow. I highly recommend. Excellent place. I mentioned Emma Jean's. Uh, here's one for you in uh, Rancho Cucamonga. You have the Sycamore Inn on one side of the road. It opened in 1848 and and went through some major renovations and changes in 1912, 1939. So it's an interesting blending of of early California with early 20th century California. And right across the street, directly across the street, is the very uniquely styled Magic Lamp Inn uh, that dates to 1955. But the restaurant originally opened in 1940 as Lucy and John's Cafe. and then it was transformed into this uh, uh, this restaurant that looks like a movie set for something like <laughs> Alibaba in the, the 40 thieves, Arabian Nights. Uh, it's it's uh, really a treasure.
0: And, w- and what, what kind of food do they serve there?
4: Uh, traditional American foods. Right, right. How did that theme come about? Like why would they build that? You know, I, good question. But California, you know, is heavily influenced by uh, movies, movie sets, things of that nature.
0: What's one other place, one more, uh, you know, eatery that we shouldn't miss while we're driving along Route 66?
4: Uh, If you want something a little bit really different, in Pasadena, on Colorado Boulevard, which is Route 66, there's the Haider Baba Restaurant, and it's an authentic Persian cafe.
0: Oh, that's cool. And what's the history behind that?
4: Uh, it has been there for about 25 years. And uh, it is a family from uh, of immigrants from Iran that opened the restaurant. And it is authentic uh, Persian food. Uh, uh. The, it is right down to they have a prayer room in the back for their employees. And uh, it's a fast, fascinating food. I did not know that you could do so many interesting things with couscous and lamb. Uh, or ke- kebabs.
0: <laughs> right, right. It's great. You can get all kinds of food on, on Route 66. Yes, yes. <laughs> so Route 66, of course, continues into the LA metropolitan area. What do you recommend taking some time to enjoy along that part of the journey?
4: Gosh, you know, it, it, as with any big city, there is so much to see and so much to do. Uh, at the In the original Western terminus of Route 66 was 7th and Broadway in the city's historic district. And that district is being gentrified. Uh, It's coming back to life. And it's a a dynamic. It's vibrant. And there's so much to see. I recommend walking the district, the Bradbury building, some of the interesting architectural detail, the astounding facades of some of the old theaters. And since I uh, enjoy food immensely, that's how I kind of get in this kind of (laughs) shape, which nobody can see, which is good. Uh, A Grand Central Market. On uh, Broadway downtown, this amazing, massive food court with every kind of food, drink, fruit, vegetable you can remotely imagine, opened in 1917. And to add to the to the dynamic and unique feel, uh, it's almost like a living neon museum. You have neon signs that are new, advertising businesses, and then you have some that date back to the 1920s. It's a very, very vibrant, uh, fun place.
0: I always like to, you know, incorporate great places to eat. So that's a really great place to go near the end of your Route 66 trip that, like, experience all kinds of great food in this historic building uh, with those cool neon signs. Um, kind of to wrap up, I mean, what are, like, one or two big pieces of advice for people planning a trip along Route 66? What, what would you tell them that they really should do ahead of time?
4: Well, uh, cast aside your preconceived ideas because you will be surprised with every single mile. It's not gonna be what you expect. It's gonna be better. That's
0: really great advice.
4: Jim, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us
0: on California
4: Now. You bet, sir, you bet.
0: Jim Hinckley is the author of several books about Route 66, including Travel Route 66, a guide to the history sites and destinations along the Main Street of America. Check out his website, JimHinkley'sAmerica.com. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. Thank you for listening to California Now. We hope you enjoyed this episode and get a chance to hit the road soon. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Soterios Johnson. You can find our show on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe. And if today's guests convinced you that it's time to take a road trip in the Golden State, do yourself a favor and head on over to the Road Trip Republic Hub on Visit California's website. You'll find more than 50 detailed itineraries, complete with suggestions on where to go, what to eat, where to stay, and more. That's visitcalifornia.com road trips.